Welcome to the Free Range Preacher on Prayer podcast. Your host, as always, is Fred. Our desire is to encourage, exhort, and educate on biblical prayer through this podcast. The mission of the podcast is to help everyone God allows us to help achieve a growing, biblical, dynamic, and satisfying prayer life. If you have any questions, comments, or prayer requests, you can reach us at freerangeprayer at gmail.com. If you would like, you can make a positive review wherever you get your podcast. That would be appreciated. Welcome to today's episode of Free Range Preacher on Prayer Podcast. Welcome to the Free Range Preacher on Prayer podcast again. I really do appreciate your patience and your listening, and and prayerfully the Lord is accomplishing His will um, in your life, uh, and actually my life as well. I take great encouragement in making these um, devotionals and just studying for them, to be to be frank. And I really enjoy doing that, and they're fruitful for me as well. Hopefully. Prayerfully, they're fruitful as you as well. Um, today's episode is going to be a devotional episode on an aspect of God which um, is intrinsic to all his attributes. And that is um, from Hebrews 12, 29, our God is a consuming fire. And he is a consuming fire. We're going to look at that a little bit. The next full episode we're going to have is going to be on the Word of God again and how it informs our prayers. And we're going to uh, make this make this a full episode, but there will be other episodes on uh, the Word of God informing our prayers because it's just too big for one episode. But you, we will, uh, as we have been, looking at how God forms our prayers and how we conform to the Word of God and then pray as we should, because of what we know from the Word of God. And then uh, the next um, episode after that will be, I believe it'll be a full one. And it's just going to kind of be a, a hopefully an encouraging summary of where we're at so far, where we've been so far. The last one was pretty heavy as far as content and and um, what the Word of God has and calls us to as far as praying. Uh, uh and so it's hopefully going to be, like I said, an encouragement. Um, and then after that, we're going to move on to the elements of prayer. At least that's the plan for right now. So we'll also have some upcoming uh, devotionals as well. For today, though, we do want to look at our God being a consuming fire. Now, there's only one good thing about winter. I hate being cold. I hate the winter time. I live in the Northwest where we do get cold in winter, not as bad as most places or some places in the United States, but actually too cold for me. But I do love a fire in the fireplace. We have a, a nice open fireplace, a wood stove, and that can be opened and give us the full effect of a fire. And I really do enjoy that. <clears throat> and in the fireplace, it's almost actually as much uh, fun and enjoyment that has come from a campfire in the woods. And I told you before, I took vacations, our basic vacations when we were children uh, and growing up were camping. And so I love the wood and the fire and, and warming up by the fire. Uh, those are all special times and special memories uh, for me in particular. Um, and 
there's a lot of great things about the fire. You have the the sound, the wood crackling in. Uh, good thing about a fireplace is that there's no smoke in your eyes, but you have the wood in the background. You can see the fire. You can kind of watch. And I love the phrase, the, the flames of the fire dancing around because that's what they look like they're doing. They look like they're jumping around and, and uh, that there's joy, uh, which is interesting. Uh, uh, because of the nature of a fire. And even now, though, usually when I have the fire in the fireplace through the winter, uh, I'm sitting and either reading, a lot of times praying, sometimes watching TV as well. And the the fire is in the background. The, the warmth of the fire you can feel all the way through the room, all the way through the, the house. Uh, um, and then that you have the the sound, the comforting sound of the crackling in the background, and I really do enjoy that. But every once in a while, I I just kind of gaze into the fire, and I like to watch um, the subtleties of the fire, the flames, like I said, dancing around. And it's always interesting to me. I I know in broad theory why a fire does what it does uh, but it's always amazing as I watch it do what it does when it takes the fuel and consumes it and gives off its warmth and light and very often when I'm in that uh, sort of reverie uh, in front of the fireplace I'm actually contemplating God the God of the Bible and again in Hebrews um, 12 29 the Bible says for our God is a consuming fire now, as always, we're reading from the uh, NASB, the 1977 edition of the um, uh, New American Standard Bible, and that will go through all the quotes as well. Uh, a few days ago, though, as I was watching the fire and just kind of uh, staring at it for just a few moments, I was just, again, transfixed by, by the fire burning, uh, it growing consuming all the fuel that it has available in that little um, firebox. <clears throat> and I don't know if it was just the nature of the fire or the nostalgia of those days camping, the wonder of God in nature. Um, and, and perhaps it's just, like I said, the magic of watching the fire consume the fuel and giving out light and warmth. And so for what I do understand about how a fire works, uh, I, my mind just doesn't grasp those sorts of things as far as um, being able to analyze that fire working. So it's always fascinating, but it's always, uh, like I said, a wonder to me. And and as I was watching it the other day, I, I was thinking about God and his nature. And we know that when we start a fire, all we do is we start it, right? We take whatever we're going to use as kindling, put some fuel around it, make sure that it has air, and then we start that spark, and the fire by itself consumes and moves through the fuel. Uh, we know from a forest fire that it moves through a forest as it's consuming uh, the, um, the fuel that's there. And the fire doesn't need direction or instructions to work or to burn and consume and even move, uh, like I said, in, in, the, in nature in a, in a forest fire. All it needs is air and fuel. And it's actually in that context or in the correct context of a fireplace, not so much in, as in a wildfire, but it's actually a very beautiful thing, beautiful thing to behold and to experience and to listen to.
And the nature of God contains all that beauty in a fire and more. Uh, the nature of God is directed to us, his creation, in fact, to all of his creation. Now, we know, we also see in uh, in the word of God that the consuming nature of God is seen most of the time in judgment. If you go through the, uh, the passages and look at... Um, what God's word has to say about him being a consuming fire, uh, for the most part, they are about judgment. And I actually, this isn't the first time I've uh, thought about this or talked about this. I wrote a blog a few months ago, probably a couple years ago now, on our God being a consuming fire. And at the time, I actually didn't, didn't delve into the study as much as I did this time, because I, I wanted to make sure Again, that I'm rightly handling the Word of God. And most of the passages that have to do with our God being a consuming fire do have to do with judgment. But as I'm watching the fire and as I'm watching it expand and burn, um, what occurs to me is it's not just judgment that is a part of God being a consuming fire. In fact, God being a consuming fire permeates or is intrinsic to all of his attributes. And so as I went through the scripture, um, like I said, most of them, most of those passages do have to do with God and judgment. But in X24, uh, Exodus X. In Exodus 24, 17, uh, it's talking about the sons of Israel seeing God, um, and it says the appearance of God is said to be like a consuming fire. And then there's at least three passages. I had uh, Isaiah 30, 30, Deuteronomy 9, 3, and Psalm 97, 1 through 6, where it is referencing God's judgment, but those uh, those passages, and there's more, but those passages at least uh, put God's judgment in the light of um, something to rejoice in as his people, because we see him being justified and his enemies being taken care of in that consuming fire. So as we think about God being a consuming fire, it's not all negative. It's not all um uh, bad stuff. And, and like I said, even when the Israelites saw God and uh, saw what he was like, his his being a consuming fire is what they saw uh, as they watched Moses ascend the hill. And so our God is a consuming fire. And his, like I said, the, his consuming, that nature, his consuming fire uh, permeates all his attributes, all of them. And not just his justice. And in fact, the reason we exist and the reason Christ had died for us and the reason we experience any goodness or joy at all is because our God is a consuming fire. Now, from my soul, I really do wish that I understood the fullness of God. There are, are parts that we all struggle with, parts that we, we see, but I wish I understood it better, not only to be able to communicate it, but for my own soul to know it better. And so at some point we will touch, I believe in the future, on God and his consuming justice. It's actually key 
It's actually key to the gospel, isn't it? If there wasn't any consuming justice, then there would be no need for Christ to come and no need for us to believe by faith and have salvation through his work on the cross for us. So it is key, and it's also important. It's part of how uh, how God works to help make us holy. So we don't want to shrink back from the idea of God's judgment, but it's it's not all that easy to talk about, not all that easy to cover. And so I wanted to wait uh, for a little bit. And like I said, we'll probably hit that at some point. And uh, as a Christian, there's uh, sometimes that I do, in fact, often that I do, uh, agree from a sincere heart with uh, David. Because he says in Psalm 119, verse 120, actually, my flesh trembles f- for fear of thee, and I am afraid of thy judgments. That's what he says. My flesh trembles for fear of thee, and I am afraid of thy judgments. And we know David was called a man after God's own heart. We know most of the time, uh, or a very great percentage of the time, he was consumed in doing what God wanted him to do and being the man God wanted him to be. And he still, though, confessed that there are times he was fearful and afraid of God's judgment. And that happens because we're still in the flesh, right? We haven't been fully redeemed. We are still in the flesh. There's this sin in uh, Romans 7 that Paul says still indwells our flesh. And that sin separates us from God by by net Necess- by necessity, sorry, um, but by necessity it separates us, and that's why we get when we when we fully get redeemed, we get a new body, because without that body we're corporal beings. We're supposed to be in a body, but without that body we cannot stand before God, and the consuming fire that He is. So even as Christians, there sometimes we tremble and we fear God, and that's actually a good thing. Uh, for us. Like I said, it helps measure um, uh, or helps uh, motivate us to purity. And so we do know that our God is a consuming fire. We do know that he is perfectly holy. And then we do know where we are in respect to that. Um, But to begin with, I I didn't want to start with judgments. I wanted to start with some other attributes of God and just one in particular today. So what I'm thinking is that we're going to have several of these devotions uh, over time that talk about God being a consuming fire or the consuming nature of God in all his attributes and in his person. And so today, though, I do want to begin with God's goodness because we we do love God and we love God and he is good to us Psalm 145:9 it's all over the scripture but Psalm 145:9 is a really good one because the, uh, the, again David says the Lord is good to all and his mercies are over all his works and i just love that verse cuz a is good to all and actually his goodness is over all his works. His mercy is over all his works. His goodness is over all his works. And if you think about, just for a moment, creation as it stands now, fallen creation, fallen mankind, it's not only men that that are fallen, but nature is fallen. And in fact, Romans 8 talks about the creation groaning to be redeemed. And 
And we know because mankind has a soul, that judgment is specifically directed for us, but it affected everything, including animals and plants and, and all the rest of God's creation. And so when the psalmist says, the Lord is good to all and his mercy are over all his works, that includes nature as well. And it's just awesome that he is all-consuming in his goodness. Now, we even see nature calling out the goodness of God. We looked at this, well, we didn't look at it, but we referenced it a little bit last week. Again, from David in Psalm 19, where he calls out and calls calls nature itself to witness to the glory of God. And it says, the heavens are telling of the glory of God. And their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. And as we begin, that's Psalm 119, 1 and 2 again. As we look at that, just as a, uh, uh, as a cursory look at the beginning, that's one of the ways we know God really exists, is because there's anything at all. And, and as Hebrew says, um, everything has a builder, and the builder of all things is God. And we look at nature and we know that God pours out his goodness to us through nature. And we see his um, attributes in nature as well. And so every day, through every season, day and night, God's goodness shows through all the works of his hands. Every joy that we have, every gift that we experience flow from God's goodness to his us, to us, and then we see his goodness in every part of his creation. And he does supply abundantly through his creation. Uh, in Luke uh, chapter 12, in an exhortation uh, uh, that Jesus is giving, uh, he's giving an exhortation to his followers not to worry. God's taking care of them. And God's goodness and care is exemplified in nature. And I know you'll remember this passage. It's Luke uh, 12, 27 through, and 28, where he says, Consider the lilies, um, I'm sorry, consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. But I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. He continues, but if God so arrays the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you, O men of little faith? And so we see how God provides beauty in the world. He provides beauty in nature. And the beauty of the flower isn't its own creation, and it doesn't have to ask for it, and it doesn't have to search for it. It is there. In creation, because God's goodness is over uh, plant life and over flowers, we all see also see in another spot. And I'm sorry I didn't reference this, but the birds of the air they get food, right? They don't have to worry about where their food comes from. God supplies that, and um, even in the Psalms it talks about uh, the lions not going hungry because God supplies for them. And so we see God's goodness in creation. He's good not only in creation, but he's good to his creation. And then as we look at his creation, as I said, we see his goodness in creation. We also see his goodness in creation as it relates specifically to mankind. 
And again, I want to turn to the psalm, Psalm 104, uh, 10 through 15, another psalm of David. He's just the best. He's the greatest. But it reads this, Psalm 104, 10 through 15, reads like this. He sends forth springs in the valleys. They flow between the mountains. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Besides them, the birds of heaven dwell. They lift up their voices among the branches. He waters the mountains from his upper chambers. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of his works. He causes the grass to grow for cattle and vegetation for the labor of man, so that he may bring forth food from the earth and and wine, which makes man's heart glad, so that he may make his face glisten with oil and food which sustains a man's heart. So again, we see from that psalm, God's goodness in creation, his goodness uh, of creation, but also that creation is designed and bent for the goodness of mankind. We have good things because of God's creation. And I just love that because he waters the earth. Um, he gives the fruit of it, the works right? And, and they're fruit that just grows, that, that uh, we eat and we can eat and always have been able to do that. And then he grows grass, the rain, God's blessing, God's goodness makes grass to grow. And the grass is now food for the cattle. <clears throat> and the cattle is now food for mankind. And then there are other vegetation that as man farms, he brings forth food from the earth. That's what the psalm says in, in uh, the last part of 14. And then, and this is an astonishing part because it, again, it talks about God's goodness. Well, it's a little astonishing to me, but that's for personal reasons. But in verse 15, he says, and wine, which makes man's heart glad. So there's even extra. It's just not day-to-day -day survival that we that we get from God's goodness. It's just not uh, enough to, to sustain us from day to day. Uh, the food tastes good. Um, cattle tastes good. I love a good cheeseburger. I love a good steak. That tastes good. Fish, I love fish, fresh fish. That tastes good. So it's not just, a, it's not a machine. We're not machines that get sustained by fuel. My car, oddly enough, actually doesn't care what kind of gas I put in it. It can't taste it. It doesn't enjoy the gas. It's fuel that it's, that it's used to make the, the car run. And as far as mankind is concerned, we do need that fuel, right? We will die without that fuel. But God is good to us because the fuel tastes good. We also know that life is hard. God knows that life is hard. Again, we're going to cover those things in the future as well. But life is hard, and sometimes we need some escape. And while we know the Bible does condemn drunkenness, it doesn't condemn wine by itself. In fact, in this psalm, it it says wine is part of God's goodness to mankind to make his heart glad. We need some relief. We need rest. That's why we're able to sleep. That's why we have a seventh, uh, a seventh day um, to worship, right? The Sabbath day. Well, it's for us the seventh day. But it's the Sabbath day because we need that rest. He knows we need that rest. He knows we need that refreshment. And so he gives us good things, good food. Um, plants and animal, 
food that's good. And then he gives us uh, wine to make our hearts glad. I think that's one of the reasons we have entertainment as well, because we need that escape. We need some time away from the roughness of life, and and life can be very rough. So we see God's universal goodness throughout all creation. We see his goodness to his creation, his goodness to the birds and the um, and the animals. Um, and even in this passage in Psalm 104, when he talks about the birds of heaven, the wild donkeys, um, and uh, all of those, all of creation is supplied because God is good. Now we also see another element of goodness that especially as Christians, we need to focus on and, and make sure it's part of our lives. And because God is good, universally good to all his creation, mankind included, but that also includes the two subsets of those who believe and those who do not believe. The way that the Bible puts it, you can find in Matthew 5, 44 through 45, where Jesus again is talking and he's saying, but to you, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you in order that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. The universality of God's goodness is seen if we're saved or we're not saved, if we're believers or we're not believers. Now, again, at some point we'll, we'll maybe look at God's justice and judgment in that. But right now, he is good to everyone. And it doesn't matter who you are in life, what you, how you um, look at God or whether you reject him or not. We have that universal goodness. Everyone has rain and sunshine. Everyone has that supply that, that nature gives us. And so we call that, biblically speaking through the years, we we call that God's common grace. And his common grace is to all his creation. All his created beings, um, especially to mankind, but all his created beings. And our mandate is actually even more clear from this passage. It it brings a spotlight more on the nature of God and his goodness to us because of what it asks us to do. And the reason we're supposed to love our enemies and pray for them and do good for them uh, in Luke is because he has that common grace. And he wants us not only to love our enemies, but to pray for all men. And so we see in 1 Timothy 2.1, Paul's talking to Timothy, and he says, First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions, and thanksgiving may be uh, be made on behalf of all men. I'm sorry, I messed that up. Let's do that one more time. First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions, and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men. And so God's common grace is to everyone. And he wants us as his children to reflect that common grace to everyone. And so we pray. And and not, not, not that we can pray for every person in the whole wide world. I can't. 
I pray for lots and lots of people, but I can't pray for everybody. And that's why his Christians everywhere are called to do that. Because the people that I can't pray for, you can pray for. And the people that you can't pray for, there's somebody, a Christian, near and around their lives that can pray for them. And so we see God being good and his being good to all. And we see that especially as we pray for all men, which we are supposed to do. And we may talk about prayer just in that regard. Well, we will talk about prayer in that regard uh, later too, but there's just one aspect of it that I need to think about as far as whether we're going to cover it or not or how we're going to cover it. But we draw near to God and we can draw near to God because he is good. His goodness is consuming. It's consuming for us. We can trust God because of that consuming goodness. So we want to draw near to God in prayer because he consumes for us. Uh, in uh, James, I think we looked at last time, he's jealous for us. He's jealous for the spirit that he has given us, the spirit that indwells us. So he longs to hear from us. He longs for us to call on him. And he longs for um, us to see his goodness. He wants to show us his goodness, which is, by the way, he created all so he could share his goodness with his creation. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for today. We do bow before you. We thank you for just a moment of devotion, a few moments of devotion. We bless you and we love you because you are good to us. Holy God, you've given us families and you've given us people around us who show your goodness to us. You've given us supply and even in the very nature, the natural part of our lives, you show us that supply and you give us that supply, uh, Lord Jesus. And so we just bow before you. We, we turn our hearts to you. We turn our devotion to you because of your consuming goodness. We thank you, Lord Jesus, because you're that consuming fire and because that consuming fire takes care of us. Thank you, Jesus, again, for your goodness and your mercy. Amen. The next full episode, again, we're going to look at the Word of God informing our prayers, and that leads us to worship, and we're going to learn how to worship some through His names. For today, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make His face to shine upon you. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast of Free Range Preacher. We hope you enjoyed it and will join us for our next broadcast coming up soon. For Fred and myself, this is Richard Durrington saying, make it a godly fun-filled day.